Hello, everyone, and welcome into a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We've got a full house for you today, and we've got some really incredible artists with a very, very fantastic and unique show joining us today. Joining us, we've got the playwright, director, and artistic director of the theater company Caborca, Javier Gonzalez, the actress Laura Butler-Rivera, the actress and collaborator Yorani Del Valle Pinero, and the producing director of that theater company, Caborca, as well as the actor and music director for the show, David Skeist. They are all a part of Zoetrope, playing September 14th through October 8th at the Abrams Art Center. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting abramsartcenter.org. And we're just going to go ahead and welcome all of our guests right on and dive right into this. So Javier, Laura, Yorani, and David, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I am so excited to be speaking to you today about this. First of all, the poster art that I got in the press release was incredible. It totally caught my eye. (laughs) And I had to message the press agent and be like, please, can we just make this happen? This looks incredible. And the more I read into it, I was like, yes, can we really make this happen? So Javier, I want to start with you. You are the playwright of the show. Can you tell us a bit about what this show is about? Yes, of course. It's interesting that you start with that picture because that reference is an event that took place in my family some uh, a while ago when my great great aunt passed away uh, her name was Fita as that was her nickname she was a character she used to wear a lot of makeup wore pants decades ago uh, wore her big hair she was a teacher in high school people called her names and when she passed away she was put on the casket without any makeup and people were really shocked by it and because I was the theater major in the family, I ended up putting makeup on on her body, on her corpse, and and also fixing her hair a little bit publicly out on the display. So I always wanted to write a play inspired by that event. And at the same time, her sister, Ines, my grandmother, gave me at some point, or I read, or I, I inherited a box of letters that she received from my grandfather, who lived and died in New York. And so the play really is inspired by the stories of these two sisters who were teachers, who were of Spanish descent, or really who were born in Spain and moved to Puerto Rico, and who taught English and history there. And by their love stories, I wanted to create a play of two stories, one of more conventional, kind of a boy meets girl, girl meets boy, and they fall in love and get married. And the other story was inspired by Fita, I wanted to explore more the unconventionality of love, and then I created a whole other plot about how she ends up with her partner. That is so beautiful. Wow. David, I want to ask you, as the producing director for the theater company doing this, how did you come upon this story? Well... I mean, we Caborca already existed. We were, I, I, I was Javier and me and a and a, a group of other artists were. We had founded the company already several years earlier, and Javier was in residence at the Public Theater in the Emerging Writers Group when they were writing the story. So, in a way, I mean, Zoetrope, Zoetrope was really written on the actors of Caborca, written for the actors of of Caborca. So we didn't we didn't choose Zoetrope. Zoetrope chose us. Uh, and then we we developed it 
we started developing it. I mean, Javier was writing it in 2010 and 2011 at the public. And then there was a reading there, which Lauda was a part of, but she was the only member of the company who, who got to be a part of that, that reading. But then in 2013, we started developing it as a company in residence at a theater in the Bronx called Pregones. And we presented a workshop of the first part of it in 2013, a workshop of the second part of it in 2014, then went to LA and presented the first half at a festival called Encuentro that was put on by the Los Angeles Theater Center and the Latino Theater Company there. And then we came back in January of 2015 and presented the play in its entirety for the first time. And then there's there's more history of the play since then, but that's that's the sort of origin story of how how Zoetrope and Caborca came together. That is really awesome. Jadani, as a collaborator as well as a actress in the show, what has it been like developing this piece? Well, actually, I'm new to the cast. I I came across the the process when they were preparing to present the play at Encuentro, and I was working at Loisaida Center in the residency art residency department. So that was my my first residency was. Caborca, that I chose that group to be there. So ever since I, I, I've been in contact with the play, I've been dreaming to, you know, play anything. Like I was, Javier, please put me to do, I'll just, you know, I, I'll do anything. So <laughs> it's, it was already written and I'm new to the cast now. It's, it's been a challenge because it's already, in in its entirety it's developed and and the the company members they really know this this play it's it's in ingrained in their pores so i'm just following the footsteps learning a lot from them and um, yeah very honored to uh, to be here in this opportunity it's actually i believe uh, 15 years i've been working as an actor in new york this is the first time time that a director has given me the opportunity to portray such a complex character. So uh, I'm excited and nervous at the same time. <laughs> That's exciting though. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Now, Laura, I want to ask you the same question because you are also a performer in the show. What has it been like developing this piece and getting it on its feet as we were sliding into opening here? It's it really is such a gift. I think this is one of the plays that I'm most attached to emotionally. Just one for the story, because it really is such a beautiful story. But also with the group, which is, you know, Kaborka's family now. But but really the growth, what's been very fun is that every single time we've come to it, there's a discovery and, and there's a beautiful growth to the piece. And you can say that for anything, but just to have been a part of the discovery of you know, learning who these characters are, then how the piece is done. There are some dance pieces there, but how we came about to creating that in the space and how it came together. And then the timing of everything is very flexible in the show as well. So when we, after the movements, then it was the language that we had done it in English only. And then we, we did it in Spanish and English. So it was like rediscovering the characters in the other language as well. That was very beautiful. And then it's the timing of the piece and how it fluctuates. And now this time around, it's 
uh, other actors playing the same role that you're doing. So you get to see it in a different light. You get to see how they connect to it and you get to see the play from the outside. And that's been really fun processing. Lovely. Javier, I want to come to you with this next question. And I want to ask you, particularly since you're the playwright and director of the show, what is the message or thought that you're hoping the audiences will take away from this? It's Zoetrope functions in many ways as a photo album. There is a study of a family over four decades, really. So to me, I come from a family that is that loves politics and loves talking about politics always and would even prioritize those conversations over others. So to me, the play really serves as a lens into Puerto Rican, we can say leftist, but I really mean a Puerto Rican family divided or kind of set up artists that, as in their relationship to the coloniality of Puerto Rico. It's like, really, we've been saying the personal is political, the political personal, you know, that comes from feminism as well. We, we say it all the time, but I feel like the play is a lens through of that, of the Puerto Rican family, really. It also, I mean, it, redoing it over the years changes in a way the approach to it, even of my own interpretation. But when I work in the, in the play now, I see a group of people similar to what I just said, trapped in circumstances, not really being able to fully live a life, but more kind of conditioned by their environment. So there's some of that as well. I love that. Laura, I want to ask you that same question. What is the message or thought that you hope audiences will take away from Zoetrope? I, uh, the list is long. And also I want, I just want, I am actually curious to see what I want to hear from them. I would love for them to come because I want to hear from them what they're getting from the play because it's really, it's open, right? To those interpretations, but also, I mean, I, I could say in one part, I could say I really love for my for my my Puerto Rican family to come see it because I know that they're just going to connect to it, like to hear things that we recognize from our past as well is is so delicious. But let's see. One other thing I, I will say is normally you I, I, I want I, I at least hope that people come and they don't they're not indifferent for something. Right. They're either moved. They're either angry they fall in love but I, to feel something, but to connect, but then. Beautiful. David, I would now like to ask you, who do you hope have access to Zoetrope? That's a great question. Caborca kind of sits at a really interesting place in New York because we were, we were originally founded by five Puerto Ricans and one gringo. That's, that's, that's me. <laughs> For those who can't see me and, and has expanded over the years. So we now have 14 members and seven of our members are from Puerto Rico, including Javier, of course. And five of our members are from continental U.S. and two of our members are from Asia. So we're really an international company, but we have a kind of real critical mass from Puerto Rico and part of the Puerto Rican uh, diaspora. And, and New York is a city with over a million Puerto Ricans. And it's also a city with a, a tradition of experimental theater that is global and multilingual and multifaceted. And we really sit at a cross section of both of those things. We are very much, I think, part of the Latina theater community. And we're speaking very much about 
Puerto Rican history, about the Puerto Rican diaspora, but we also are speaking about Puerto Rico in the context of the larger continental Latin American story. And we are also working very much within a global, a global tradition of formal experimentation. And when I say global, I don't just mean European, I don't just mean New York, I also mean Latin American political ensembles. And so we really we really are a mix of formal laboratory and and a company dedicated to stories that are addressing questions of colonialism and and imperialism and a lot of a lot of what surrounds those sorts of questions. So who who do we want the show to be to be accessible to? We want it to be accessible to we want it to be accessible to people of Latina descent who are here for whom this story will resonate because it is the story of their diasporic origins. And we also want it to be accessible to people who are in New York, who go to experimental theater, who may never have seen a play about these stories, who may never have seen a play about a Latina story or a Puerto Rican story. And specifically in terms of accessibility, Zoe Trope, so half of Zoe Trope is in Spanish and half of Zoe Trope is in English. It's in the vernacular. The scenes in Puerto Rico are in Spanish. The scenes in New York are in English. But the whole show is supertitled in the opposite language. So just as the actors are switching back and forth between Spanish and English throughout the whole play, the supertitles that are projected on the set are also switching back and forth, which means the play is fully accessible to somebody who only speaks Spanish and the play is fully accessible to somebody who only speaks English. And it kind of brings language itself onto the stage as something to be questioned. So, yeah, and it's also particularly meaningful, I think that this particular, I mean, when we first presented it in New York as a showcase, it was at the Pregones Theater in the Bronx, as I said earlier, which is one heart of the Puerto Rican diaspora. And now that it's getting this kind of more robust premiere in a brand new redesigned, reimagined production, we're on the Lower East Side, which is also a kind of epicenter of the historical Puerto Rican diaspora. So we we really want the play to speak to Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rican diaspora, and New York as a cosmopolitan global city, and the people who come here for for art that will change and blow their minds. I love that. That makes me even more excited to be seeing this show. Jodani, I would love to wrap up this first part of the interview with you and that same question. Who do you hope have access to the show? I also wanted, want the Latina and the Puerto Rican community to come and see it, but I think I am most curious to see how U.S. Americans see the show because even though it's it's a play about family, you know, the, the political theme is there about colonialism and and that that, that legacy of of resistance that that is part of the history of Puerto Rico that I don't think is very talked about here in the US. Uh, there is like a false notion that in Puerto Rico we haven't fought enough for our independence or our liberty. And that's completely erroneous, or as, that's how you say it. <laughs> you know, Puerto Ricans have been fighting for for their sovereignty since the since the Taínos and the indigenous were uh, colonized by the Spaniards. And after the U.S. invasion to Puerto Rico, the independence movement really was even more fuerte, strong. So. You know, even though it's not about that, it's also about that. And I, I hope it can provoke a sense of curiosity for the uh, U.S. American audience to 
you know, to say, oh, you know, this, this, the, did that really happen? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that, that type of audience. Yeah. To open conversation. Yeah. To open the conversation about colonialism and, and the struggle for, for independence in Puerto Rico. I want to change things up now. I want to let our listeners get to know the four of you a little bit more. Pick your brands a little bit, if you will. And I want to start, Laura, with you. I'd like to ask, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or uh, shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? Oh, my gosh inspire who inspires me so many people i mean i'm inspired by chaplin buster keaton i'm inspired by things my colleagues do in rehearsals i'm inspired by my past mentors that i've you know had taught was taught by uh, the list goes on and on but i i think also i'm very inspired and i and i love ensemble work i love collaboration devised work as well it's funny i was thinking about that the i was thinking of a show at the uh audience for a new city called Fairview. I saw that a couple of years back. Actually, I think they might bring it back. And that is one of the pieces, the, one of the last, or not last, but one of the pieces I have seen in theater that I was very excited about because the ensemble was great. What they have to say in Fairview as well, like the topic about race and how we speak about race was fantastic. The direction was really good. And yeah, and I'm very inspired by, by ensemble work. Wonderful. David, how about you? What or who inspires you? Ooh, in the hot seat. So I'm I'm deeply inspired by a long legacy of the theatrical tradition. I mean, I'm inspired by and pre pre-theatrical. I'm inspired by cave paintings. I'm inspired by by the the human impulse to create the sort of mystery of that. I'm inspired by the Greeks. I'm inspired certainly by, you know, others in the classics, Shakespeare and Moliere and Brecht is a big inspiration for me. I think the, 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 the privileging of story, the idea that theater is, that theater exists to teach as well as entertain. I, 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 I was, had a really kind of stroke of incredible fortune after I came out of grad school and I worked with some really legendary figures of the New York avant-garde. I worked with Liz Suedos, who I, I worked with her on a couple of things, on a political cabaret and on a and on a theatrical oratorio that she wrote. And I worked with David Gordon, came out of the Judson Dance Theater on a Brecht piece and a Pirandello piece and a Klezmer musical. And I worked on a show with Richard Foreman um, as well. And in addition to having professors both in grad school and in undergrad who are really kind of rooted in avant-garde traditions I've sort of had my mind broken open a lot of different times by the collaborators that I've worked with but there was also there was a moment and it was somewhere around when I was working with that group of people and also working with Javier and working with some other of our contemporaries Doris Morescu, Mayan Wang, Shira Milikowski where I realized 
I had sort of come up with the idea that there were all of these heroes out there that I wanted to work with one day. And then at a certain point, I realized that the people who inspired me the most were the ones I was working with, yeah. that I was being changed by every process I was in, and that I was in a process of becoming the artist that I was to be through through my longest and most enduring collaborations, which includes the people sitting around this table. Oh, that's a great list. Wonderful list. Snaps around for that. Jadani, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? It's unpredictable. It's in the in that fine line between terror and ecstasy <laughs> and and exploration. I I really love laboratory work and taking things to a whole entire another level and yeah, and what I love about Caborca is that with them, I can get to do three things that I really am passionate about. And it's singing, moving, dancing, and acting. And they they really provoke me and, and push me to, you know, places that other companies or directors or texts don't, it just... For me, it's super challenging, and, and I and I feel every time. I think this is the third time I work with with you with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time I work with them, I am discovering things about myself as a performer. And you know, Javier is always trying to push me to the to to another uh, possibility. Every time, the first thing that I propose, that's precisely what they don't want. <laughs> So, <laughs> so uh, it's 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 challenging, and I and I feel that I, I'm every time I work with them, uh, I'm growing as a performer, uh, as a singer, as a mover, and, and and as an actor, and and also because there's also a school that we come we come more or less from the same school, even though I. I didn't have the privilege of having a master's degree in Colombia, like like they, they did. But but we keep uh, saying that because David, Javier, and I went to Columbia University yeah. together. But but also Javier, Jarani, and I were in the same undergrad in Puerto Rico. Yeah, we we met uh, doing our bachelor's in in the drama department at the University of Puerto Rico, and that's how I've always follow uh, Javier and and Lauras and others in the group. So. But we also come from a Latin America, Latin American theater, and and that I didn't get to do a lot in New York. And when they invited me to work with them for, to do Octopus's Garden, I like I, I I really felt okay. I am landing on a on a ground that I really love and and that I I was waiting to do for many years. So. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm in La La Land. No, La La Land is not what I was <laughs> No, I love that. That is a beautiful answer. For context, Octopus's Garden is a play by a uh, an Argentinian, an Argentinian-Ecuadorian playwright, uh, Aristides Vargas, that uh, we, did the, we did the English language premiere, but many of them studied with Aristides and his company Malagerba in the years before moving to New York. So yeah. there's a long legacy with that company and with his work. So we did the New York premiere 
the English language premiere of that play just before the pandemic, which mm -hmm. was the first time we worked with Jadani. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Javier, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? I enjoy conceiving text or creating or finding text or creating certain kind of landscapes with words and then finding a way to turn that into an image or several images or action choreography. So it's like the transition from text to the body. It's really a great part of what I do. You were asking about inspiration before and I was thinking about the the be the everyday inspiration you David mentioned Brex, you know, and I, I feel like I write plays really from things I hear and from things I see. Of course, but my feelings are there, sometimes my biography, my family, but it really comes a lot from real life, like uh, from being an observer. So how to take that and put it on stage with a group of actors in the ensemble theater tradition, with dance, with video, really asking questions so everybody can participate in the creating of the world. That's that's my favorite part of working in the theater. It's a wonderful answer. Well, we've now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and I can't wait to hear all of yours. And it's, what is your favorite theater memory? I have mine. It's very early. And it actually has to do with Zoetrope. I mean, one of the first place I ever went to see was called Los Soles Truncos by René Marquez. And it's a Puerto Rican classic. And I believed it so much. I loved it so much. They keep on taking this dead body to a to a room, to a bedroom. So at the end, and the, the theater in Puerto Rico, in Vega Baja, El Teatro Fénix, had just reopened. So at the end of the show, I actually walked by the stage and climbed on the stage and opened a door that led backstage. And I swear, I thought I was going to see a bedroom. And what I saw was a black wall with an X. And it, that completely marked me forever. Like I really experienced alienation just right there with this first poetical, uh, yeah, lyrical type of show, dramaturgy, but also very realist. It's a house, right? So I really experienced that like alienation effects of seeing suddenly the backstage and I had just experienced this bedroom, you know, this story. So I quote René Marquez in this play, you know, he's one of our most important playwrights and really kind of has a huge effect on our generation, right? So, <laughs> so that is, and it was crazy that it's true. <laughs> wow. That is fantastic though, I love that. <laughs> To go about my absolute favorite, but I, but one, I, I can, I can definitely name one, one theatrical moment that had a very sort of deeply lasting impact on me, which was, so I, I grew up here in the city and the, the roundabout revival of Cabaret came out when I was in high school and, and I was, you know, buried in the closet under lots of old board games and uh, and old clothes. And I remember, and I saw Alan Cummings' performance in that show, and I had never, I didn't grow up watching the movie of Cabaret. I really didn't know that much of what it was about. I was a very overly serious theater kid. And at the time, seeing that performance, I, I, I could not fathom why it was impacting me the way it was but it was unforgettable and I couldn't I couldn't stop singing the songs I couldn't stop embodying the songs and what and what I realized over the years that 
followed because that performance lingered so, so much. And I saw, I saw him do it again. I saw several other people do it again, but it was that portrayal of a completely different notion of masculinity, such as it was, even if, if it was even masculinity or gender performance, queerness, all of it, that was so, was so not what had been kind of foisted on me and was so sexy and was so radiant and was so truth-telling and was so tragic and was so unbelievably profound. And I, I think I, in my imagination, wanted more than anything to be able to fill a performance of life that was that expansive. And I think in some ways that still guides my work as an actor and an artist in a lot of ways. I love that. I have a memory. I... When I entered college, I entered through the communications department. I wanted to study journalism, but everybody in my family said, no, you're going to end up in drama, in the drama department. So I enrolled in uh, to do a play that this very well-known director and mentor, Victoria Espinosa or Vicky Espinosa, she was directing a play by Federico Garcia Lorca and I auditioned and I signed up for it. So we were rehearsing. And very late at night, and there was, uh, it was pouring, and it was raining, and I and I thought, well, you know, rehearsal is going to be canceled, and 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 I at that at that time I didn't know I I wanted to, you know, to become an actor or, or to dedicate my life to this. So I I in my mind I said she's going to cancel the 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 rehearsal, and she said grab your things, we're going to re rehearse, and it was an outside uh, outdoor staging. And we were, I I couldn't believe it. This person, Victoria Espinosa, was like, okay, start. We're starting the scene. And we were, it was raining. We were, and it was cold. And I was like, is this really happening? Everybody was uh, complaining. And she stopped the rehearsal. And she said that actors don't get sick. Actors just die. And I, and I was like, what? She was like, we are rehearsing because actors don't get get sick. Actors just die. And at that moment, I realized this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, and until it, was, it kills you. But, until it but, kills you. Yeah. It's also like it's 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 a way also to like theater. It, it's immortal. Uh, you know, characters are immortal in a sense. Also, so it. I I never. I will never forget when when she told us that it was something shook me. She shook me up, and I said, "This is what I want to do for the rest of my life." So yeah, actors don't get sick; they just die. <laughs> I love that. Well, Lara, what is your favorite theater memory? So when I was in 12th grade, I was in a production of Beauty and the Beast, and it performed at Teatro La Perla in Ponce. And it was my first time, you know, going to a proper theater. I had been doing theater, but, you know, in school and you know, in the classrooms and everything. And I, I, they were taking us to the Camerino. Dressing the, the dressing rooms and I and I asked that because I was very eager I was like can I see the can I see the stage and they said yes through there and I remember walking up the steps and seeing the stage with the ghost light and just walking onto the stage and it feeling massive and just the smell of wood and dust 
and you know, in that perfect, beautiful ghost light. I think that's the memory that then continued on as, as a tradition in the sense of all memories throughout each experience in the show. You know, I, the smell of things, like the smell of the sweat of the actors, the smell of coffee, you know, the sounds of the pencil writing, the sound of the God mic of go here and there. Hold please. The hold please, the laughter, the, the sensation of the warm light, you know, on your skin, like that sort of, those are, those memories that kind of like tradition continue and but that was that first you know that first encounter with the feeling of theater that sensation of it that is such a wonderful memory thank you for sharing that thank you all for sharing those memories those are lovely <laughs> do any of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you well, we have one all together, actually, <laughs> that we're developing. We're developing a musical called Rubali. It's inspired by the plight of the right whale, the Northern Atlantic right whale. So it really is a, an opera play about humans obsessed with whales and whales trying to migrate south. And I've written the book for it. And David is, with along with Michael Reykjavik, composing the music for it. To heavy metal choral music. Yeah. So we've presented about half of it. We developed it. We presented it at the New Ohio this year in January, in February. And now... Soon to be late, we, great we will, New Ohio. Exactly. The late New Ohio. And uh, now we soon will be developing the second half. Yeah. That is amazing. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. We are too. Yeah. <laughs> and a bit nervous. <laughs> Well, then kind of going along with that, if our listeners want more information about Zoe Trobe or about any of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? They can visit our website, kaborka.org. That's for the show. C-A-B-O-R-C-A dot org. They can visit Abrams Art Center's website to get tickets to the show. And they can also follow us on Instagram. Kaborka NYC is the handle. Thank yep. you. You can find us all through the website of yeah. Kaworka. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. And please do, please reach us, reach us and, you know, write to us. We'd love, we'd love to hear what, you know, what you thought, what thoughts are to open the conversation, you know, things. If, if and please, when they come see the show as well, you know, go to the website and just give us, give us your thoughts. If you've never yeah. seen theater before, if you've never seen experimental theater before, you are, you are more than welcome and and wanted i love it well thank you javier lara jarani and david for taking the time to speak with me today it this has been amazing the show sounds fantastic i cannot wait to see it i can't wait for more people to see it like you all should be proud this is a great piece you've all created so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me thank you thank you for having us thank you for what you're doing it was a lovely conversation Thank you. My guests today have been the playwright, director, and artistic director of the Caborca Theatre Company, Javier Gonzalez, the actress, Lara Butler-Rivera, the actress and collaborator, Jarani Del Valle Pinero, and the producing director of the Caborca Company, actor and music director for the show, David Skeist. They're all part of Zoetrobe, 
which is playing September 14th through October 8th at the Abrams Art Center. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting abramsartcenter.org. And make sure you check out their website as well, kaborka.org, or follow them on Instagram at kaborka.nyc. We're going to have all this information posted on our episode description as well as on our social media post. But you need to get your tickets now. Go to abramsartcenter.org. Get your tickets for Zoe Trobe. We're going to be attending the show. We'll let you know when we're going so that we can make it a stage whisper night out at the theater. But the show is playing September 14th through October 8th. Don't miss it. Zoe Trobe at the Abrams Art Center. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.